Hello? Hello. Welcome to Nonsense and Noise. Jesus, what is that accent? Welcome to Nonsense and Noise, a podcast about the queer pop culture media experience. I am your host, Nathan Cato, and as you can tell, I have been on a journey around the English-speaking world, I guess, just lifting accents and being overall just annoying about them. Um, if anybody's tuned in for my Metroid Dread streams, you might have seen me just, like, really bastardizing the Australian accent, and that's it's been a really fun time doing that, just really pulling that out every so often, just hello, and that's... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's been fun, but I am really tired and stressed. Work kind of picked up very suddenly, and so that's the main reason why there was no new episode last week. I was also in the middle of getting together a cosplay for a Halloween party that my friend's boyfriend held, and the cosplay is my Gardevoir Gajinka. I had a couple of things that I wanted to update on it, and I finally did. And um, I sewed a shirt in a week, and that was a lot of time and effort. And on top of all of that, I had deadlines at work. So last week I worked close to 50 hours, and then on top of that, I sewed a shirt. So I was up until like 12 or 1 every night, and it was just not fun. My body is just falling apart. And by falling apart, I mean I'm just like (laughs) really not having a great time. So yeah, I was quite busy last week. I didn't get to explore or explore Halar. I didn't get to record an episode uh, like I wanted to. And this, I think, is probably going to be the last episode about Shang-Chi before we move forward into other topics. So yeah, that's how I am. I'm pretty pretty wiped. I'm recording this in, in bits and pieces. So hopefully later when I edit this, it's not a terrible mess. So in terms of like stuff that's happened since the last episode, I I went apple picking with a friend and that was pretty fun. We had a good time. If you're in a place where you can go apple picking during the fall, like fully recommend that. Although I guess it's November now, so it's probably over. Date of recording is November 2nd. So like if you haven't gone apple picking by now, you probably aren't going to be able to do it until next year. And uh, Halloween also happened. I only saw one instance of Squid Game, which like it was the, the people in the masks and like very, very situationally appropriate given that we are still in the middle of a pandemic. But yeah, I only saw one. I'm kind of surprised. I thought that was going to be like the big thing this year. I was also very, very prepared to like punch people out for being like, oh, I'm going as a Squid Game character. And so I had to tape my eyes to show that I'm like a Squid Game character. And you know, do all sorts of racist shit because like Halloween is racist Christmas. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't see anything terrible. So that's good. I, there was something, oh yeah, about Squid Game. Before I knew it was a TV show, I fully thought it was just people hyping up Splatoon. And I'm just like, okay, this is a really weird way to talk about Splatoon. And then like more and more people were like, no, you should watch Squid Game. I'm like, why do I want to watch something about Splatoon? And then I finally learned that Squid Game is a Netflix show. And it's like a, you know, it's, it's not light and fun like Splatoon is. It has like important messages about capitalism and like how capitalism is bad. But like, you know, still... Nevertheless, corporations are just like, you want to play our squid game? And like, they 
just it's so wild how corporations i mean not wild per se like it's just really mind-boggling how much people miss the point sometimes of like social commentary and it's literally that one meme of like the garfield like um i wonder who that could be for and it's literally just like man i i don't get it it's just so weird the other things that i have to update in terms of like pop culture and whatever and like game news I am almost done with Metroid Dread. I've really, it's been so fun to play. I have really enjoyed just being bad at the game. I knew I wasn't gonna like speed run it or like first clear any bosses just because uh, I played uh, Super Metroid a couple months ago on the NES simulator on my Switch and that game was hard as hell. I cannot believe that anybody played that game on the NES and had fun because I used the rewind function like crazy on that when I was playing it. So honestly, if you played Super Metroid on the NES, kudos to you. Like you're you're a pro gamer. I'm definitely not a pro gamer. But yeah, I'm almost done with Metroid Dread and it's been really fun. And I think maybe maybe after Metroid Dread, while I'm waiting for other games that I've pre-ordered, which that reminds me, you need to pre-order Shin Megami Tensei Five. That comes out in 10 days, and really just... Nintendo looked at my wallet and was like, this is mine now, and I said, no, th- I, I kind of need money to live, and they're like, no, you need money to give to us, and I was like, you know what, you're right, you're absolutely correct. So, yeah, I was like, maybe I'll stream Pikmin 3, but that's probably not going to happen until after I, like, I'm going to get Shin Megami Tensei Five and then I'm probably going to stream that because I really love Shin Megami Tensei 4 Apocalypse. That's another game that I highly recommend playing. That's pretty cool. But yeah, I'm probably going to do that. And then, of course, the other thing that people are talking about, the Animal Crossing update. We finally have Brewster. I did not ever play any of the games between the GameCube Animal Crossing and Animal Crossing on the Switch. So, like, I don't know actually who Brewster is. Like, I know that he's, like, the coffee dude. But, like, I don't have any, like, strong like feelings on him i know people really liked him so super glad that folks are excited about that the major controversy i think surrounding all that stuff is just the expansion pack the happy home paradise i think it was called the dlc that's finally is finally paid dlc it is either standalone or you can get it as part of your nintendo switch online expansion pack which the family plan goes up to i think 80 dollars a year with all that which is absurd the only thing that like you're getting in addition to the base nintendo switch online pack is you get the nintendo 64 option which is cool but like and i'm hoping that they add more games onto that because like then it would maybe make it worth it but even so like it's always fine to pirate nintendo games because like Nintendo just doesn't ever drop their prices and it's a scam. But yeah, so you can get the expansion pack for your Nintendo Switch Online and you get access to Nintendo 64 games as well as the Animal Crossing Happy Home Paradise. But the thing is, if you decide to cancel your expansion pack because it's expensive, because it is, $80 a year for like not that much added is kind of bullshit. But yeah, if you decide to cancel your subscription then you lose access to your DLC, which is wild to me. So, like, I don't know. I The Happy Home Paradise expansion looks cool, and I'm interested in it. And, like, I do, I do enjoy Animal Crossing. So, like, I'm probably going to drop the $25 on the expansion 
that DLC, but I also want to be able to like have the expansion pack for Nintendo Switch Online because like being able to play some of the Nintendo 64 games that I didn't play while growing up, I think would be cool. I I didn't get a Nintendo 64 until very late in the game when like I think I played Pokemon Stadium both one and two on that as well as pokemon snap and hey you pikachu because i was a pokemon child but i don't think i really oh and then i had super mario 64 but that was kind of the extent of my library as a child because my parents were not really big on me playing video games they thought that there were bigger and better things for me to do with my life and now here i am disappointing them at the age of almost 30 playing video games in my free time although it's very funny because they have since reversed their stance my mother plays animal crossing now and my dad um i introduced him to civ or civ sid meyer's civilization because my dad really likes strategy and puzzle games very much like me is incredible like he informed a lot of my gaming tastes but yeah i introduced him to that and like there was one week where i was calling my family and my mom was just like you need to tell your dad to stop playing Civ; it's ruining his sleep schedule and that really cracked me up so all this to say video games are cool and i think that i mean i think public opinion and like popular culture is very much changing their minds on video games and like the degree of like shame involved and whatever but yeah all that to say like it's obviously a valid interest so embrace it and like i know actually my guest who's on for episode two bryn actually met their fiance through playing video games i was part of that friend group so it's a it's a very special story to me and eventually when they have their wedding ceremony and and uh, reception i will be going to that but yeah uh video games are cool and are always a valid way to meet people i'm gonna take a quick break and then we will hop into our main content so something that I actually somehow forgot about is Cal Penn came out on Halloween. He's been in a relationship with another man for 11 years and they just got engaged. So congratulations to him. That's truly another win for the LGBTQ community. I'm just thinking about all the young Indian American men who were able to finally see I'm not like super connected with that community. So I don't really know like their sort of role models and people that they look up to but there's a there's another person that they can look up to and i think that's really awesome so yeah that was the just one more update and let's get into the next segment all right welcome back from the break in my break time i ate dinner and then i talked to my dad about something um i've been trying to connect my computer directly to the internet and by directly to the internet i mean directly to my modem so that way i can get the full internet speed that i'm paying for but my dad was like um if you do that you're actually not protected from attacks on the internet and i'm like damn so i'm not gonna actually do that anymore one day i will maybe try that again but with safer a safer hardware and shit so anyways that was what i was doing with my break also let's take a, a quick second to drink some water uh water is good for you water is required to live um, okay, so now that we all have our water, and by we all, I mean really you, I'm going to edit out the sound of me drinking water. Okay, so now that we all actually have drunk some water, the main topic for today's episode is the Asian American experience. Shang-Chi is a really great movie for this topic for obvious reasons, but also not just the reasons that you think. 
Obviously, Sean or Shang-Chi or however you want to address the main character's name, played by Liu Sumo. However you want to address him, Sean or Shang or whatever, he is obviously one example of the Asian American experience, but also another character that is highlighted in the movie that's a great example of Asian America is the character of Katie, played by Aquafina. So we're going to start off with a bit of a con compare contrast, just looking at these two characters and you know who they are and what they're sort of what what's given to us in the movie so we'll start off with katie who is one asian american experience so she was born in the u.s she can't speak chinese but she can understand it as shown by her home situation her mom will talk at her in chinese her her grandma will talk to her in chinese and she like knows enough chinese to like understand people but she doesn't speak it and she knows how to say her name in chinese but yeah, this is, I feel like is a lot, is very stereotypical of like, or not stereotypical, but like a very normal situation for a lot of immigrant families where the the children may not actually know how to speak whatever language of, of their heritage, but they can understand it perfectly fine because their parents speak it to them at home. And the other thing is Katie lives in a multi-generational home, which is another very like classic Chinese American slash Asian American thing where not only are you living with your parents but also you, your grandparents might be living with you as well. I know I had some classmates growing up who that was very much the case where their grandparents lived with them. I remember I was always a little jealous of that because like my dad's parents were pretty independent so like they had their own house and then my mom's parents are in Taiwan and they're also pretty independent but because my mom's parents are in Taiwan I like don't see them often and I mean there's still kind of a language barrier there not for me quite as much because I studied Chinese in high school and I was going to try and study it more in college but I just didn't have the credit hours to be able to do so but yeah it would have been really nice to actually like grow up with my grandparents around and like get to know my grandparents on my mom's side a little bit more because like right now the extent of our interaction is like we'll call them on the phone every so often or like FaceTime it and it's just like, hey, how are you doing? Like, have you eaten already? Like, what are you up to? Um, hope your holiday, like normally we'll call them like during Chinese New Year or something and be like, hey, happy New Year. Thank you for the present or whatever. And that's about it. Like it's a, I don't know if my mom is like deliberately keeping the interaction short or if like my grandparents also feel awkward just like interacting with these people who they barely know but yeah like it's certainly just like very limited and it, I feel like maybe that would be different if I actually like grew up with my grandparents because like I know there's some people who have actually like very good relationships with their grandparents and that's really cool. I like kind of am trying to do that with my grandma on my mom's side or on my dad's side but like it's I mean I don't live on the same coast as her I have not primarily lived on the same coast as her in 10 years so it's kind of hard to you know grow that relationship especially like she's not exactly she's she's kind of tech savvy but like it's just not like she's got like discord or anything she'll text I could probably facetime her more so, I mean, it's definitely a two-way street, but... So, yes, Katie lives in a multi-generational home, as I mentioned before, before my huge tangent. That is a pretty stereotypical, like, Asian-American thing. And it's interesting, like, I think this is... Katie's struggle to find her place is very much exemplified during her experience in Talo. She's kind of just, like, there. And I think as we watch the movie... 
you get to see how awkward and feel how awkward she feels until she finds out that, like, until she gets, like, shoved into archery and, like, she takes to it very well. And that's kind of, like, when she's like, oh, yeah, I fit in just fine. And I think that's a really cool metaphor for how, you know, as an Asian American, there's no one way to be an Asian American. And especially since, like, Asian is such a huge monolith that's ranging from, like, Central Asia to, like, Southeast Asia to South Asia to East Asia. Like, there's so many different people and cultures and languages encompassed in the umbrella term of Asia. Um, so that means there's truly no one way to be Asian American. So I think it's really cool that Katie gets to sort of serve as this metaphor for like, hey, look, you might not be able to speak the language of your heritage, but like, there's still a place for you and you are no less valuable. You are important. So that's Katie and one lens of Asian American experience. And then there's the other sort of Asian American experience told by Sean. And Sean is actually more of the like first generation immigrant child, much like Simu himself. Like he was born in China and he is bilingual. He speaks and understands Chinese. And he grew up mostly alone once moving stateside. Like this is <laughs> uh, the next point that I have written down for myself is like he's extremely independent and it's very interesting like I would really like to know how the fuck he survived as like what I think he went to the states to like or like he ran away from home at 14 like what did he do for money and food and stuff in high school like did he live at like a, a shelter or something or like I don't know I would I would have assumed that he would like try to keep a low profile and that means like living alone and but like he went to school which is how he met Katie like so it, there, there's a lot of interesting backstory that I'm really curious about. But yeah, like, he's extremely independent. And this is, like, pretty... all Like, all of this to say, like, the, the growth from coming to the U.S. at 14 with nothing to... I mean, it's not... Sean's not necessarily making it in his late 20s. He's a chauffeur, and that's, or not a chauffeur, he's a valet. And, like, I don't know, living in San Francisco, he lives in a garage it looks like i'm not even sure if it, like he lives with katie or like he has his own place like i i don't remember i'd have to rewatch the movie again which i like keep meaning to do and it's november now and i'm pretty sure shang is no longer in theaters but anyways yeah no he he's very much like the stereotypical like immigrant experience where he like comes to the states with nothing and he like kind of builds himself up into something and obviously like most people who come to the united states are not actually like superheroes so that's kind of uh obviously a suspension of disbelief here but yeah it's a very strong connection to like that immigrant experience of like coming here with nothing i think that's also like pretty exemplary too of like children of first generation immigrants where like I think that a lot of the kids who are children of first-generation immigrants, like, you kind of are forced to navigate things yourself, especially if your parents don't have a great command of English. Like, I know there are some friends that I've had who have had to navigate, like, parent-teacher conferences or, like, paperwork or, you know, all sorts of other things. Hearing about that experience is not new to me. I've had friends who've had to navigate some things from a very early age because their parents just don't understand. And it's not like the United States makes things easy for people who don't speak English because racism. So yeah, it's, it's very much like an echo of that 
in terms of like independence and stuff. And I also think that a lot of, um, I mean, that, that situation doesn't really change either as we, as we grow up. I know like, you know, college applications are such a, a process. And unless you've gone through the American university application system before, you like don't really know what to expect. And so obviously kids who have parents who went to school or did undergrad in the States have a leg up over kids who have to demystify it and like explore that system for the first time by themselves. So like, yeah, like the American system fucking sucks. <laughs> But yeah, like it's it's not kind to people who don't really like speak the language and people who don't really know what they're doing. But all that to say, circling back to Sean, like he his character is very independent and like somehow made it to adulthood without like I don't know. I don't know if the character even went to college. Like he he's he made it. He survived. And then of course, once he goes back to China and he is looking for Xiaoling as well as Talo. Like, he falls back into old patterns once he's reconnected and once he returns home to his family as well. I don't think there's anything too much to say in terms of, like, the Asian-American experience there, but, like, yeah, there's just, like, something about the characters. So that's sort of just, like, the characters themselves, and I think the two most important things to highlight between Sean and Katie are their command of Chinese, or the language of their heritage. One speaks it, one does not. And then also their sort of living and, like, their living situation and the community that they grew up with. Sean grows up alone. He has friends, obviously, in that he is friends with Katie, but Katie lives with a family, it's a little bit different, you know? I can't imagine, like, going somewhere at age 14 not knowing a single person there and being like, yeah, I guess I have to live here now, and, like, somehow figuring out how to do that on my own. Like, I think maybe I would have been able to do that at age 14, but, like, obviously would be much harder than as a young adult who can who has a little bit more, like, experience with, like, oh, like, I can go find a job, whatever. Also, like, labor laws in the United States, I'm pretty sure you can't work at 14. I think you can get a, a part-time job starting, like, at age 16. So, like, I really don't know what Sean was doing when he was, like, yeah, I'm gonna run away from home at age 14. Like, did he, like, very surreptitiously, like, siphon funds from his dad. Like, I don't know. That's, it's a huge mystery. What did he do? We will probably never know because Marvel is not going to go any further into his origin. And, like, I don't even know if Marvel is going to go any further with Shang-Chi because, like, Sumo had the, um, the whole Reddit controversy and then, like, apparently Shang-Chi didn't screen in China because, the Chinese government was upset that Simu did, like, an interview with, with someone, and he was, you know, talking about his childhood in Harbin, and, like, it, it didn't paint a great picture of, of life in China, so they were just like, we don't want you to show Shang-Chi here, and, I mean, that's not his fault at all. He's, like, speaking honestly, he's speaking his truth, and he's sharing, like, yeah, this is what it was like. It's not like my childhood was easy. And he kind of got dinged for that. And that, like, it's not his fault. And I really hope that Kevin Feige doesn't view that as his fault. And hopefully, like, we get a another Shang-Chi movie. Or, like, we get Shang-Chi in, like, another movie. Um, that is not necessarily, like, his own. Though I think it would be cool if he had another, like, solo movie. Because, you know, all the other Avengers and all the other, like... Hero superheroes have had 
a series of their own movies. Like, Captain America has multiple of his own movies. Thor has multiple of his own movies. Who else? Iron Man has multiples of his own movie. Ant-Man has is getting another one. Spider-Man has had, like, 20 million iterations. So, yeah, I just hope that we get another, like, solo Shang-Chi movie. Though, if Marvel doesn't want to, then honestly... As I've said before, I will take this character. I've spun out like this really cool backstory for like my original character that in, that is involved in this universe, and I have a great way to connect like my character to Shang Chi and like explore the material that we've been given. And like the the material is like okay, but like I I put some you know I've added some details that I think are cool. I've I am excited about it, and like hopefully I can actually write all this down so that way should the time come and they're like hey we actually are going to pass Shang-Chi off to somebody else I'll be like hey I actually have things that I can use for this and like people will enjoy it so yeah maybe at a later date but yeah so those are like the overall <laughs> wow I don't even remember where I was before but yeah that's like a that's the compare contrast of the two characters so obviously two very different Asian American experiences but like I think there are a few themes that both of these experiences really highlight. So those three themes are otherness, connection to other Asian Americans, and the connection to culture. So in terms of otherness, Katie represents the Asian American who is more fully rooted in American culture, who is able to act as a mild intermediary between the two cultures, but also being somebody in two different worlds, uh, or like coming from two different worlds of culture, so like one foot in Asian culture and one foot in American, like you're never quite enough for one of them. Like, for example, if I go to China or if I go to, especially if I go to Japan, I think China is a little bit easier for me because like I can speak Mandarin. I think the better example would probably be if I go to Taiwan and if like because Taiwan is where my mom's family is and if I go there then people like in Taiwan it's become more and more popular to speak Taiwanese out in public because I, uh, I know my mom was saying when she was growing up Taiwanese was more of like a, a language that you used at home and outside of the home you communicated mostly in Mandarin so it would be like me going back to Taiwan and I'm not Taiwanese enough because I don't speak Taiwanese but of course, like in America, where kind of the default is white, I'm not American enough because I look Asian. Like I've been called slurs on the street before. Like some of them have made zero sense. Like someone called me a Chinese N-word before, which was truly wild. Like I was like, I don't think you know what that means because like I'm not that. And then somebody ching-chonged me, which was stupid. And like this was in the middle of the pandemic too. Like I was walking to the gym one time and I had my mask on and everything. And this guy just like yelled at me at like six o'clock in the morning, which is fucking ridiculous. So yeah, like I think Katie does a good job of kind of highlighting that person who is kind of otherized because she looks Asian. And it would be interesting to like get more exploration into that character and kind of see like how she deals with her identity and like how maybe her journey into Talo and like, you know, finding archery and everything, how that sort of like mirrors her own personal journey with like identity and everything. It doesn't really seem like the character has too much like 
going on because American theatrical or like cinematic writing of like oh you're a comic relief character is like they are only the comic relief character and they've got like nothing else and like the only comic relief character that I feel has been written well is Sokka from Avatar The Last Airbender and that's because he was given more of an arc than just like oh you're the funny guy and meanwhile like Legend of Korra I feel like they tried to do it again with Bolin but like Bolin had zero other characteristics other than just being comic relief and he was truly one of the most annoying characters even though like, I don't know, I, I want to know more about him and, like, and everything, and he's an interesting character, and, yeah, so, all that to say, like, hey, writers, if you're gonna write somebody as a comic relief character, make sure that they're, like, more, f like, fully fleshed out, and they're not just, like, oh, I'm, I'm silly, hee hee ha ha, like, it's cool, like, we, we like to break the tension with, like, with a joke, or, like, with comedy, but, like, if a character is only that, then that's boring. So that's Katie and her otherness. And then there's, of course, Sean representing the kind of Asian American who's a little bit more connected to their home culture, but they kind of struggle with life in the States. And sort of like the opposite sort of thing where like you can kind of blend in a little bit more with your sort of culture of heritage, but then you struggle with feeling part of American society and I don't think that Sean's character really does this too much because like he spent I think half his life at that point in time in the states and he was like learning English when he was growing up anyways so like he kind of has that cultural camouflage there um but I'm sure like I mean it's just kind of like every Asian American experience of like you are other in a white space and we don't really get that experience or like we don't see that at all in Shang-Chi because you know luckily Shang-Chi all the characters that we see and all the important characters are Asian specifically they are Chinese so like seeing Trevor in the Ten Rings compound is just like wait that's right they're white people so like, I think it would be interesting to see Sean and Katie actually, like, interact with people who are not just Asian American. Like, I, I'm i not saying that this movie needed more white people. I'm just saying that this would have been cool to also, like, maybe in the next movie or something, we get to see them interacting with, like, other people, like, other their contemporaries and stuff. Because, like, I mean, we see a little bit of that with them interacting with their friends at the bar. But obviously that's, like, not exactly the same sort of thing. So that's the theme of otherness, and then connection to other Asian Americans, like that whole feeling of community with uh, and solidarity with others. Obviously, Katie and Sean are together through the entire movie because Katie, you know, plays the sidekick character to Sean, and Katie is very loyal and supportive even after like learning that most of what she's been told about her friend is a lie like if you remember like he was on the plane and he's like by the way my name's not sean it's shang chi and she was just like wait a minute your name is shang chi and you came to the states and you're like oh i'm gonna hide so i'm gonna name myself sean right like truly not the funniest joke but like the character that i developed for this universe like i have i have him make fun of shang chi as well for being like very not creative and be like sean really that's your name and what um <laughs> oh man you try being a 14 year old trying to come up with an alter ego or like a secret identity like see how well you do and then there's the other thing where sean's like yeah i i murdered a dude at 14 and i will never not be over this so we're gonna like stop here for a little sidebar it would have been really cool to actually have like sean break down and cry and I'm just hoping that, like, that happens with another character. I know I'm, like, writing that into my own story 
because like I think we at that point that would have like lent so much more like emotional credibility to the scene and everything and like really developed their Katie and Sean's friendship and whatever but you know Marvel's just like we don't do feelings other than like comedy and like being angry and then I guess like being sad when spider-man turns into a pile of dust because everybody likes spider-man or like people love spider-man so much that they're like willing to go see 27 different iterations of him which like i think we're getting in this next movie which is absolutely bonkers like i i am old enough to remember toby mcguire spider-man which i saw a clip of that movie the other day and it's truly wild that it's considered a superhero movie because that was a mess i did not see andrew garfield spider-man but like i've been through that one as well and now we have tom holland spider-man which they're doing the most with so like there have been too many spider-men i'm ready to be spider done other than spider-verse which like truly that movie i watched into the spider-verse at least three or four times because it's like that good the soundtrack is great the animation's great like everything about the movie is just so good but yes other than that i'm ready to be spider done um and uh wow i lost my train of oh that, that's right um in terms of just like emotional connection and everything so yeah I just like there was so much opportunity for that and we could have had that but we I guess we didn't because uh Marvel can't write and so that is just Katie being loyal and supportive of Sean and then also like they are quite opposite as I just mentioned in terms of like how they are othered and then like also like their experiences with their heritage and everything Katie kind of has one foot very like I would say like one and a half feet very firmly in like America and Sean has like one foot very strongly rooted in China and like that heritage they still like are able to resonate with each other and like have that sort of shared experience and they find that commonality and I know like so I'm half Japanese and half Taiwanese and I have a lot of friends from high school who are, are Chinese American. I have like a couple Korean American friends, like very few Japanese American friends. And then like I know other Indian American people. And then like I'm trying to think, I think that's probably like mostly it for like Asian American friends that I have. And I know some Vietnamese Americans as well, but like either way, there's like always something really refreshing about talking to my friends who are Asian American because there's like there's something really nice about being known without having to like mention something so like some of the shared experiences that we have and like just shared culture it's just this nice it's not it's really nice to just like not have to explain yourself you know so for example like I hung out with a friend a couple weeks ago and we got lunch and I ended up like I was expecting to only see her for lunch but we actually ended up hanging out for like seven hours and we were talking about parents and then she was talking about fruit and of course I had to make the joke about like Asian parents love languages is is cutting fruit for you and then she went on a whole tangent about how she does not eat grapefruit regularly it's only when she goes home to visit her parents does she ever eat grapefruit because like her mom will like not only peel the grapefruit for her but also like remove the fruit from the pith and everything and i'm just like that is a labor of love and that is like definitely your mom showing her showing you that she cares about you a lot she's just like yeah i know but yeah so that's obviously just one example but like this whole like commonality of shared experience and like that connection i think is is highlighted quite well and i think even i think just like how Sean and Katie interact with Katie's family i think that's also another thing um i think it's it's 
interesting in that like Sean is it seems to be over so much that like Katie's grandma asks like oh when are you guys getting married because like I think even though like being like hospitable hospitable and stuff is like a big like Asian American cultural value I do think that like there are also family well I guess it's a little bit subverted in that like Katie's family isn't necessarily like the one that's they're they're in the position of power there because they're actually like offering Sean food and like companionship and stuff so they like kind of have the upper hand but like for example like I think if they were on the other end of like for example say like Sean was rich or something then it'd be like oh like we don't want to be over here too much and like eating your food and like imposing basically it's like putting a bad impression out and basically imposing and and all that and so I think that's interesting that at least Sean has this like interesting connection to Katie's family so that's connection to other Asian Americans in that Asian American community and then of course now the final theme is the connection to culture Katie interestingly seems to struggle with this even though she lives in a very like multi-generational home I think by culture here at least for this first thought is really just like talking about language her grandma and her mom both speak Chinese but neither her brother nor her speak it as well so and this like tenuous connection to culture is highlighted in Talo where you know you can think about how both Sean and Katie interact with Talo like technically Sean has family there so like he has a stronger connection and he interacts with like the village matriarch and like he's very well received whereas Katie's kind of just like this girl who shows up and they're just like we don't really know what to do with you and she's just kind of like bumbling around in in Talo until they're like hey shoot this bow and she's like okay cool I can do that so I think that is like a pretty good like metaphor for their relationship to culture I don't think the movie really, obviously the movie didn't really explore Katie's identity too much, but she's just kind of like, it's interesting to see her navigate those cultural spaces. Like for example, how she was acting at the Golden Daggers. I mean, I don't think that was out of like character or like out of the ordinary or anything, but just like, it really does feel like the entire time that she's in China, she like, the character maybe like might regret it a little bit because she does seem a little bit like a fish out of water, except for like when she's driving through the bamboo grove, like that is a bit of a different situation and like everyone's relying on her to do, I guess like what she does best, I don't know. I really do love how they're just like, Katie's two skills are like, driving well and using a bow. Uh, driving well because she drove a bus and didn't kill anybody not to play into the whole like Asians are terrible driver stereotype it's more just like you know she drove a bus because her friend was fighting off assassins <laughs> and apparently nobody else is like hey let me like take care of the bus here that would be probably a good thing to do um everybody else is too busy um being scared or watching Sean kick some ass on the bus so yeah that's that's like that relationship to culture and then it's interesting cuz i think Sean is on the opposite side of the spectrum where he's able to navigate both cultures quite easily and as i mentioned this is kind of you know highlighted and exemplified through his command of language not only in english but also in chinese and he doesn't really have too much difficulty with re-entry into this culture of his heritage like sure he's sort of out of sorts at the golden daggers but like 
at all other points of the story, you don't really feel like he's out of his element in terms of, like, I mean, sure, he doesn't really know how to, like, it's his journey of, like, inheriting the rings and everything and, and really owning who he is, but there isn't quite that, like, fish-out-of-water feeling that you get with Katie. So, um, yeah, he's able to navigate both cultures and he's got a stronger connection there um than it seems that katie does so so that's the main meat of this episode holy shit i've been recording for such a long time um i'm gonna take a break and we will come back with the end of the show all right welcome back um hope everybody had a good break i uh, hope everybody drank some water okay so yeah, that was the episode. I'm surprised with how long I've talked. Turns out that having a break to, like, reset and do stuff allows me to talk more instead of just, like, talking for a straight half an hour. So, in closing, uh, I just want to plug a few things, the usual. Um, Patreon, so as a reminder, this is completely an independent operation. I don't have anybody else working with me on this sort of passion project. It's just me. I do my own editing and everything, and I uh, rely on Patreon to help offset some of the costs that come along with running this podcast. So that involves hosting on SoundCloud and hopefully moving to hosting on Spotify eventually. Also, it covers the transcription costs as well, um, because I know that there are some people who want to engage in podcasts, but sometimes they can't really engage with podcasts because either they're deaf or hard of hearing, or, you know, sometimes you don't have the the hardware to be able to, like, listen to a podcast in a non-obtrusive way in a public setting, and so you can at least, like, read through a transcript or something and and then you can listen later. So yeah, those are the two main things that Patreon helps me do, and so if you feel like you enjoy the content, please go over to the Nonsense and Noise Patreon, and feel free to drop a donation there. There are three tiers that I've got. Tier one is a shout out, and that starts at a $1 donation. Tier two is early access to the episodes. Normally I try to put out episodes on Saturdays, and that's that public release, and then the tier two access, you get access to the episodes one day early. And then tier three is topic ideas. So you actually would get to propose different ideas for topics that you'd like to hear about explored in either a queer or person of color perspective. So as just sort of a teaser for next week or next episode, I'll be talking about BL or boys love and that topic in, in, in terms of like different movies and pieces of media. I think I might start out with a solo episode, but I've got a couple friends that I know I want to talk to about different boys love media. So yeah, that is Patreon. And then I also have my Twitch up and going for uh, finishing out Metroid Dread. If you want to play the game, I would advise probably not watching my stream because you're going to get spoilers. If you don't care about spoilers, then that's totally cool. Come on by and hang out. I'm at twitch.tv slash kato not kato. That's K-A-H-T-O-N-O-T-K-A-Y-T-O. It's the same branding across all my platforms. And then if you want more of me, you can feel free to follow me at Instagram 
or on at Instagram. Hello? Hello? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter using that same username. That's Kato, not Kato, K-A-H-T-O-N-O-T-K-A-Y-T-O. I am a lot more active on Twitter where I sort of just like run my mouth. So feel free to follow me there. And until next time, everyone, thanks for tuning in to Nonsense and Noise. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.